Welcome to the Focus Today podcast with Perry Atkinson. Well, welcome to Focus Today. I'm your host, Perry Atkinson, and I'm always honored when we have the time to uh, get Professor Mike Bustler with us. He's a public policy analysis. He's also a professor of finance at Stockton University in New Jersey. And he has a great website, very informative. You can go to muckrack.com forward slash Michael Bustler and check it out there. Professor, good to see you, friend. How are you? How are you? Always a pleasure to see you too, Perry. I'm doing very well. Thank you. How am I doing in your class? Am I passing? <laughs> You're doing exceptionally well. One of my prize students. You asked the, the, the good questions, and that's the most important thing. All right. Good to see you. Thank you. Hey, um, I wanted to kind of get your feel first. Um, have you been paying attention to this Organization of Nations? It's been around for a while, B-R-I-C-S, uh, that's trying to maybe regulate um, the, I guess, the currency that would be used for energy. What's your take on that? So these are countries that are uh, typically not very friendly to the U.S. You have China, Russia, Iran. Uh, even South Africa and a bunch of smaller uh, countries. Um, and what they're trying to do is form a bond to exert some uh, economic impact, um, similar to what you might get with the, uh, the G20 or the G8 uh, that meet to look at um, coming up with economic policy that best fits uh, the, the world. The problem with the BRIC is they have... Um, different goals than typically what the U.S. and its Western allies uh, have. And as they get some of these uh, close relationships, um, you start to wonder, uh, worry about um, how that might affect things from a national security uh, standpoint. We're already a little worried about China and Russia kind of palling up to each other. Uh, we heard today that North Korea was selling uh, weapons to um, Russia to help fight the Ukraine war. Well, as these countries get closer in BRIC, you'll see a lot more of these things, and it's not a good thing for uh, Western countries. So what's the risk of Middle East accepting a different currency than the dollar for fuel? Well, so historically, the dollar is the uh, currency used worldwide for, for just about uh, everything. Um, once they start, uh, or if they go away from the, the dollar, some of these countries, especially China, manipulate their currency. Mm -hmm. And when they do that, that could have some uh, very volatile effects on uh, oil, uh, world oil prices. Um, Saudi Arabia also has a different set of goals, uh, typically, than what the U.S. goals will be. And again, going to another currency other than a dollar will make them more independent and less having to respond to uh, the U.S. Particularly worrisome because the U.S. is now uh, no longer energy independent. Uh, and instead of being an exporter of oil during the prior administration, we made enough for ourselves and some to export. Uh, we're now an importer. We don't make enough for ourselves and we have to import some in. Once that starts happening, particularly if they use a currency other than the dollar, there could be some price manipulations uh, in either direction and cause, could cause problems for the U.S. economy. Okay, one other little international, uh, I guess, economy question. If Russia 
is not what it appears to be, and they're looking to North Korea for military supplies. They got to pay for that somehow. That's going to hurt already their shaken economy, isn't it? Uh, yeah. So um, Russia relies on uh, exporting oil. Now, although the Western countries are supposed to not be buying any, um, what Russia did was they dropped the price slightly and China and India have been buying um, vast amounts from them. In fact, Russia is producing more oil today than before um, we had this uh, embargo. Um, so um, if, if Russia has to buy uh, military arms because they're, they're running out of them and some countries won't sell them anything, uh, they'll go to North Korea to do that, that um, and they'll pay for that by using uh, oil, even if they sell oil directly. Um, they also have um, control over some grain markets. Um, they're in a, an argument now about allowing Ukraine to ship grain, and they may be able to make a deal with North Korea that we'll get some food to you. North Korea vastly needs food, so they may make a deal and sell some food, food to them. Um, today, oil's at $90 a barrel. What does that tell you? Well, as I've been saying for uh, some time now, um, the price of uh, oil and energy and gasoline is going to go up significantly. Um, OPEC set a target to get oil, which was then in the low $70 a barrel range. They want to get it into the $90, $100 barrel range. Um, we can't combat that. Uh, anymore because we produce less oil than we, we did in, in the prior administration. If we had a little more oil and had the ability to increase the supply more, we could uh, combat some of that. But since we can't, uh, there's not a whole lot we can do. What you're going to see, um, the Consumer Price Index for August is due out, I think, Monday or Tuesday. It will be shockingly high, mostly because energy prices uh, caught from the end of July and in August rose significantly. I don't know if you bought gasoline lately, but you're probably paying about 50, 60 cents a gallon more than you did uh, last, last year at this time. So higher oil prices lead to higher overall energy prices, much higher gasoline prices. The, pr the national average for gasoline now, I think, is in the $3.82, cent range. Um, it'll probably go up uh, to over 390, and it wouldn't surprise me if by the end of the year we saw gasoline up to about four dollars a gallon. Okay, so if the CPI comes in higher than anybody likes it, uh, that means that they have to fight it some way. So, are you looking for additional interest rate bumps between now and the end of the year? So, the week after that's released, uh, it's released on Monday or Tuesday. The following week. The Federal Reserve's Open Market Committee meets to decide what to do with interest rates. In my view, they uh, eased up on the rate hikes a little too soon, and the interest rates, even though they're sky high, and people are not going to like me saying this, but even though they are what they are, they are still a little bit too low. So I expect the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates in September at least 25 basis points, and if it were me, I would go up 50 basis points. And if that doesn't bring the inflation rate down in the next couple of months, I wouldn't be surprised to see another rate increase by by the end of the year. Now, people say to me, well, why are you 
encouraging this, high interest rates, I, I, I can't afford a mortgage, my credit cards are 22%, why are you uh, suggesting higher interest rates? The answer is, um, we have inflation because there's excess demand in the uh, economy caused by a huge government spending and a very expansionary monetary policy and the federal government handing out free money to everybody for a couple of years. Um, so there's excess demand in the uh, economy. By raising the interest rates, some people won't be able to afford now a new car, a new house. They'll drop out. That will reduce demand and tend to bring the inflation rate down. Con consumption, consumer spending, accounts for about 70% of total GDP. Consumers are spending like crazy. Even after they spent all the free money that the federal government gave them and all the stimulus they were handing out. And remember, the average family of four got over $11,000 of stimulus money, whether they were hurt by the uh, pandemic economically or not. Consumers have spent all, all of that. However, they're in such a spending mood, now what they're doing is putting, continuing to spend and put the charges on their credit card. Last month, total consumer credit card debt topped $1 trillion for the first time. So even though people say to me, well, interest rates are, are, are too high, I would say, yeah, they are very high. Uh, credit cards are extremely high, yet people are still using credit cards. Home sales have fallen. But still, home uh, prices are starting to inch up again. There's a supply issue, too, but typically uh, that's from excess demand. So the Federal Reserve has got to get this inflation problem solved. And inflation is, is like a cancer. If you don't attack it early and aggressively, it gets put into the system. You get this wage price spiral, which we're almost starting to see today. And it becomes very difficult to remove inflation. So you have to act quickly and aggressively to get rid of it. And I think um, by raising the interest rates again in a week or so and another time in December, they'll be able to do that. Okay, because uh, I'm trying to understand this because uh, the Wall Street Journal said that the only 37% of voters approve of President Biden's handling of the economy, Bidenomics, while 59% disapprove. Um, we have inflation. You're saying it's going to be considerably higher. Um, I guess it's a two-part question. Part one would be, is the Fed making any progress in fighting, fighting inflation? Okay, so uh, part one, they... Um had what I referred to as shockingly irresponsible monetary policy all during 2021. The economy was growing at a 6% rate. The federal government was deficit spending nearly $3 trillion. Yet, the, Fed, the Federal Reserve kept interest rates near zero and kept expanding the money supply through their bond buying program all the way through 2021 and into 2022. Why they had that expansionary policy when the economy is growing at 6%, it was shocking to me. Finally then, in June of 2022, when inflation peaked at 9%, they said, you know, we've got to do something about inflation. They reversed course, starting pushing interest rates up very quickly and very substantially. Now you could argue, it did work in that it brought the inflation rate down from the 9% peak to the 3.2% where it is today. So the monetary policy has been, been working. 
I think they're going to have to get a little bit tougher and raise rates a little bit more if they want to bring that inflation down to 2% and make sure it's washed out, washed out of the system. But they made a mistake in 2021. They corrected it at the end of 2022 and into 2023. I think they eased up on the rate increases at the beginning of this year a little too quickly. I would have stayed um, raising them three quarters of a point another time or two to get that federal funds rate up over 6%. And I said back in uh, June of 2022, when I started doing this, I think the federal funds rate is going to have to hit at least 6% to permanently get rid of this inflation issue. Mm. One, one other quick question before I take a break. Uh, let's just assume somewhat hypothetical here. Uh, the CPI numbers increase significantly, which forces a rate increase. A big contributing factor to all of this is attitude. And it doesn't look like people's attitude about the economy is favorable. It, it, it just isn't ringing the bell. Bidenomics doesn't seem to be uh, scoring. Um, how do you fight a negative attitude? <laughs> so um, the president, because he's running for re election wanted to say how good Bidenomics was. Uh, unemployment rates down, so many months of uh, job growth, more jobs added, et cetera. So he can, he, can, he can say that, but how do people actually feel? The results of Bidenomics, where you crush the energy industry, massively increase government spending, raise taxes wherever you could, and started spending money in areas that are not related to economics, like social injustice and climate change and, and things. Um, and that has caused this massive inflation. So you can tell people how you want them to think, and maybe you can influence their thinking through uh, argument. What you can't uh, influence is how they feel. And regardless of what anybody says, I go to the store and I'm paying these prices, I don't feel so good. I go to the gas pump and I'm paying those prices, I don't feel so good. So even though they tout the benefits of Bidenomics, it's political. They really have to do that. You spin it in your most positive way. And I understand that you can't influence the way people feel. And they don't feel right about the economy because of this high inflation. And that's why it gets such negative um, approval ratings. All right. Let me take a quick break. Always an honor to have with us Professor Michael Bustler with us. He's a professor of finance there at Stockton University in New Jersey. Uh, you can check out his website, muckrack.com forward slash Michael Bustler. We'll be right back. We'll be back to this week's interview in just a few seconds. In the meantime, we want to let you know that you can watch this interview, plus many more exclusive interviews that happen this week on the Dove's daily TV and radio show by visiting our website, thedove.us. And while you're there, sign up for our free daily devotional, The Word for You Today. Three months of daily readings that will connect you with God's Word. Now, back to the show. Okay, welcome back. Always honored to have with us. Uh, Professor Michael Bustler is with us today. We're talking about the economy and all things dealing with uh, dollars and numbers. <laughs> uh, Professor, I, um, I'm trying to figure out why the stock market is doing so well. I'm sure you have a simple answer to it. But one of the questions that produce, uh, comes out of this, why is corporate earnings so high? And is there any greed taking place here? So um, about greed, 
Um, it, it is not greedy to uh, charge a price that consumers are willing to to pay. Now, right. unless you're in a situation where there's a flood or something and you, you can't get water, you know, that sort of thing. As long as you're in a normal situation where their market conditions are allowed to be what they are, can, the business will always charge the price that consumers are willing to pay for the uh, product. Now, why are corporate profits uh, so high? Inflation uh, has actually helped them uh, somewhat. They've been able to raise their, their prices. Now, they have to recover cost increase, which they've been able to do. But for the most part, part as I said in the first segment, consumers are still spending a lot of money. Uh, even though they don't have it and they're going to their credit cards, they're still uh, spending. So business charges what consumers are, are willing to uh, pay. And because of this inflation psychology that consumers are in now, you know, normally, if the price of a product goes up before you buy it, you typically say, well, I'm going to look around for some alternatives. I'm not going to pay this higher price. I'm going to maybe buy less of it. I'm going to look around. In the inflation psychology, you see the price go up and people start to think, I better buy it now before the price gets higher. Well, that kind of psychology makes inflation uh, uh, worse. Um, so I don't think the corporations are being greedy. Um, I think there's excess demand in the economy. And when there is excess demand in the economy, prices are, are going to go up. Look, uh, somebody makes uh, 100 units of a product and puts a sign up, uh, product for sale, a dollar. And he normally sells 100 of them. All of a sudden, 105 people start showing up. So there's excess demand. Now, the, they, the uh, business has to decide which 100 people to sell to. There's 105 people there. So what do you do? You raise the price until five people drop, drop out of the market. And then uh, there will only be 100 people there left to buy the 100 goods. The market's, we say, in equilibrium. So if prices are going up, it's not that corporations are being greedy. It's that there's excess demand in the, the, the market, and businesses are only charging what consumers are willing to, to pay. I guess the uh, stumbling part of this, uh, I guess the stumbling part of this for me is the price of everyday essentials is going up long before you buy a luxury item. Yeah, that's uh, that's un unfortunate. Uh, some of that had to do with some supply restrictions. Uh, for instance, eggs went way up in price. Um, months before that, we had an avian flu breakout and a lot of chickens were killed. And as a result of that, there was a shortage of eggs and that drove the price of eggs up. But then they, you know, uh, uh, raised some more chickens, uh, may produce more eggs. And now the price of uh, eggs has uh, come come down uh, somewhat. Mm -hmm. um, but these necessities, you know, people say, well, rent is going way up. Well, again, there, there are there are more people seeking to buy to uh, rent apartments than there are apartments available. So uh, the rent tends to uh, tends to go up. So um, the, the best way to handle this is uh, when you have a severe inflation problem is to do what they did back in the early 80s. Use what we refer to as supply side economics, take action which increases total supply in the economy. When you do that, increasing the supply puts downward pressure on price, so it reduces inflation. And if you're increasing supply, you're making more output, so you add to um, economic growth. So those policies where you have taxes lower for uh, businesses and individuals, 
where you don't have a lot of regulations that are slowing down uh, growth. Those kind of things are needed to get the economy going and get more supply made, and that will ultimately um, resolve the inflation problem and the slow growth problem exactly as it did back in the early 80s when Reagan put forth his tax cuts and he reduced regulations. He put that tax cut through in 1982. The economy went on a 25-year growth spurt. You had a slight hiccup in 91, a slight hiccup in 2001, but essentially a 25-year growth spurt. Inflation came way down and the unemployment rate uh, came way down. So that's the kind of thinking we need uh, today rather than what uh, Biden is doing with what he refers to as Bidenomics. Uh, a couple of quick questions for a run out of time. How would you describe the supply chain today? Much better than it, it was. And in most areas, we've resolved the supply chain uh, issues. The ships are getting unloaded in the, the uh, ports. The railroads are back to running properly. There's some shortages of some materials, but not nearly as bad uh, as it's been. I don't think any supply chain issues are really adding to the inflation problem or in a, a grand scale, adding much to uh, any problem of uh, shortages. And what's your take on the latest job numbers? The, uh, they also revised July, June and July uh, downward, but it was 187,000 jobs for, for August. Anything over 150 to 150 to 200,000 range is generally viewed as a fairly healthy economy. So in terms of jobs, the economy looks good. Now, keep in mind, uh, we still have a labor shortage, even though the number of jobs op openings has gone down from 10 million to 9 million. It's now 8.8. And the number of unemployed people is only in the 6 million range. So there's still more job openings than we have um, unemployed people. So even as the economy slows down, those job numbers will be surprisingly strong, I think. Um, to a point you've made several times earlier, and, and that is... Um a lot of the job openings have been withdrawn. In other words, companies have learned how to do business without that person being on the job. They've shifted the responsibilities around. They're existing with one or two employees less. Is that true? Yeah. So, and you're going to see more, more of that. So during the pandemic, uh, an employer said, look, I need 10 people to operate my business efficiently. I can only get nine. So I have one job opening and I've, I had to get by on nine. So I couldn't get anybody else. Well, now that things are slowing down a little bit, he says, you know what? I can get by on nine, so I don't need that 10th worker. So uh, he withdraws that job opening. You're going to see the number of job openings fall relatively quickly, but the unemployment rate not go up that, that fast during this recession, which I think is coming shortly. Um, and that'll be the first time a situation like that has happened. A lot of economists are coining the term a full employment recession. So we'll have a recession, but the unemployment rate will be um, very low by historical standards. So how would you describe a recession that's going around this time around? So I think the recession is probably starting about now. I don't think it will be very deep, not like some of the past recessions, because we have this labor shortage. And instead of laying people off, they'll get rid of the uh, they'll cancel the uh, job opening. So I don't think it will be very uh, deep. It probably won't last that long either. Um, it will depend on when the Federal Reserve believes that they've got enough inflation out of the uh, economy that they can 
hold rates steady and even start to, to drop them. I think that's at least a year um, away. But I think 2024 is going to be a very difficult year. The end of this year will probably be in recession, and we'll have to deal with that next year. Okay, then my last question, uh, Professor, and I, I, it sounds political, it's not. It's just that the Biden administration is literally touting Bidenomics as being successful. Um, I don't know what they're gauging that on, and are we this unimpacted by the economy to say it's true? <laughs> well, he, he can say what whatever he, he wants, and you can influence people's thinking. But as I said before, you can't influence how, how people... Uh, feel. Bidenomics has been a disaster for the economy. Vast increases in government spending, huge budget deficits, raising taxes where, wherever uh, he could, choking off the energy supply, which drove up energy prices and politically put us in a difficult position. He says it's good because I brought all these jobs. I created all these jobs. Well, the truth is, he says, I created 13 million jobs. I think about 11 million of them were uh, jobs that were uh, temporarily uh, lost during the pandemic, and these people just came back to work. So just newly created jobs are only in the uh, less than two, 2 million range, but they're politics. And in politics, you have to spin things to look as positively as you can. You cherry pick some uh, data and say, look, Bidenomics is working, but people don't feel it working. That's why his approval rating on the economy is in the 30, 32 uh, percent range, because the reality is we have to live with extremely high inflation. It's not as bad as it was, but it's still twice as high as when he, he uh, entered office. And again, I think it's likely uh, to go up. And that's causing so many problems uh, really everywhere. It's resulted in much higher interest rates. Now, some of the businesses I talk to, they tell me um, their line of credit is now 9%, 10%, and that's putting a real choke in uh, some of that. It's mostly smaller to medium-sized businesses, so they're having problems. People say, look, I can't afford a mortgage. I can't afford to buy a, a car anymore because these interest rates are, are so high. So Bidenomics has resulted in huge government deficits, a vast increase in the public debt, higher taxes where you can have them, huge increases in um, inflation, and eventually it's going to slow the economy down. Is there a safeguard in any of this? I mean, what's what's preventing us not only having huge inflation, going into recession, and hitting a wall like depression? I mean, is there a safeguard in this now? Is there a whistle that goes off and says we won't go there? If the economy starts to uh, slow down too much, and I don't think that'll happen, but if it does— the Federal Reserve will rapidly reverse their um, monetary policy. If that happens, too, inflation should go down to just about zero, something very low, especially if the recession is relatively steep. At that time, the Federal Reserve will quickly change their policy, start dropping interest rates down significantly. Normally, the federal government would increase spending to try to stimulate the economy, but that's going to be kind of difficult since we already have such a large deficit. But the, the Federal Reserve will not let the recession turn into a depression. You're fascinating. Thank you, sir, for your time. Uh, let me say to our viewers and listeners that uh, Professor Bustler is a professor of finance there at Stockton University in New Jersey. And his website, very resourceful, muckrack.com forward slash Michael Bustler. Check it out. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Thank you. Always my pleasure, Perry. Look forward to doing it again. All right. Look forward All right. to it.
Thank you for listening to this week's Focus Today podcast. Remember, you can visit our website to check out all the interviews we did this week on our daily Focus Today TV show at thedove.us. And if you like this podcast, please take a moment to rate us and share it with your friends.